You're listening to Parenting Our Future. I'm parenting expert, Robin McMahon, author of The Yelling Cure and founder of Parenting for Connection. My podcast is all about providing you with the tools and solutions you need in all different areas of your parenting so you can create strong connections with your kids, get all the cooperation you want, and live a life that is full of joy and connection. And by the way, the tools and solutions that you're looking for in your parenting don't just live in each episode of my show. They're also in my free membership site, The Parent Toolbox, where you can access tools created by myself and my brilliant guests that cover everything from helping your kids to sleep, managing meltdowns, reducing overwhelm to getting your kids to listen the first time and so much more. Join The Parent Toolbox so you can download and use the tools that are ready on the site and Each week, a brand new tool is added. And of course, the best part is it's absolutely free to join and to stay in. You can go to www.parent-toolbox.com today. Now, before we get into this episode, I want to share with you another podcast that I think you're going to find really interesting. It's called Didn't I Just Feed You? It's a weekly candid conversation about feeding our families, even for parents who hate to cook. Hosts Stacey Billis and Megan Splawn are two food professionals who get real about feeding kids, tweens, and teens because they're also busy working moms, so they get it. They talk about how to turn things like nachos into a legit family dinner, to the magic of meatballs, to solving the after-school snack problem, even reducing kitchen waste and debt all at once. They chat with guests from Food Network stars to everyday moms who, let's be honest, are the real experts. In fact, Didn't I Just Feed You is a staple on the iTunes Top 100 Food Podcasts and the only food podcast made with parents in mind. Stacey and Megan are on a mission to make cooking easier, more delicious, and maybe even a little bit more fun. Find Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Now, you can also find Stacey and Megan on Instagram and Facebook as at Didn't I Just Feed You. Now let's dive into this next episode of Parenting Our Future. Hey everybody, it's Robin McMahon here. Welcome back to another episode of Parenting Our Future. So we're talking about something that, although I have spoken about before, I really feel like I have one of the foremost experts on this. And this is about how to deal with really digital distress and the online world that we are in and captivated by, but our kids are also. And so uh, I have Dr. Lisa Stroman here, and she's not just a clinical psychologist, she's also an attorney, and she's the founder of Digital Citizen Academy, which is one of the first organizations to focus on eliminating issues such as cyberbullying, child luring, sextortion, and suicide through prevention and diversion programs, events, and resources. She's also a mom to two, so this is close to her heart for her own kids. And in October this month, both Dr. Stroman and her colleague, Dr. Westendorf, officially published their book, Digital Distress, which is the first book of its kind to really focus specifically on Gen Z, highlighting how children who've grown up with technology as ubiquitous as air are impacted by the challenges of growing up in this digital world. So Dr. Stroman, thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here and talk about it. Yeah. So 
okay, I think we were all really thrown, even though we kind of knew something was up with Facebook, Instagram, you know, we know it, we sort of hear it, but to actually have concrete evidence that the algorithm, if you will, purposely favors hate over, I don't know, even what you would say, love, hate over whatever that, that brings them more money, more engagement, keeps people on the platform longer. I just want to start there. Can, can you tell me from your perspective, what's going on and what do we do about it? Yeah. I mean, I think that you hit upon it. We chatted a bit before uh, when CNN had me on to talk about Frances Hagen's testimony and what she was bringing to light. Uh, I've been in this for at least 10 years, uh, really immersed into the issue. I recently have like signed on with a nonprofit that is run by a bunch of CIA guys um, who um, reporting and work on human trafficking and sex trafficking specifically. And I have a feeling that uh, Ms. Hagen's testimony was based upon a lot of the research that maybe was done by that nonprofit. Mm. They're very well, well aware. This is what it frustrates me. And when I went on to the nonprofit, they actually did a little background investigation on me, which, uh, which is interesting because I, I worked in the FBI for a number of years and they came mm. out and said, you know, out of all the research we did and vetting your profile, only one time have you ever really lost it? And it was against Mark Zuckerberg. And I was like, I'll take it. Like, you know, like he's a guy who I think deserves it. And I think that the reason why he deserves it is because he willingly is putting at risk the youth of our world globally, uh, humanity globally, based on profit. And so I think that we have to look at the US-based Congress, they themselves have given kind of a free pass for the last 20 years Mm -hmm. to the tech industry. And he smartly understood that loophole and just jumped straight through and said, all right, if I'm gonna have the protection of a congressional body to be able to build a company without any sort of backlash of liability, it doesn't matter how many kids die. It doesn't matter how many parents and families are torn apart by addiction or the abuse or the bullying or any of the things that they, they know and that we now know as a public. Uh, and that's what frustrates me. And, I, and that's why I think it's so important to talk on this issue and kind of dedicate my time and, and writing books about it so that parents really understand the magnitude of it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. it's a lot. I'm very passionate about this topic. Yeah. And, and that's, that's as good as I've got as wow. And the thing is, though, you know, I was thinking as you were talking, as a Canadian, you know, it's not just the U.S. society. I mean, the company is based in the States, but it's all over the world. It is changing elections. It's changing culture, right? Absolutely. I think that what we look at and when you and you understand really how kind of tech works and the algorithms, and I think that that was really the point of uh, Ms. Hagen, and I know this isn't about what she said, but tech really is kind of outgrowing people and humanity. So mm-hmm. when you look at it, you can use it for good. So uh, an educational based software that I, I, I'm not sure if up in Canada, you guys have Gaggle, um, but Gaggle is a, is a software that goes into schools. A school can implement that and it oversees anything that a student does online. It actually can look and say, are there keywords of distress? Uh, last year alone in the, in the, I think that they have I want to say over 5 million students that they protect. They had over 4,000 kids that they saved um, from suicide where they were actually the first primary 
voice where they were alerted online. Uh, the great thing about Gaggle is they have actual real people that look at it. So it kind of goes up this algorithm. So the AI picks it up, but then mm -hmm. the people look at it and then, then they bring in the officers, the administration, and then they can go in and say, all right, how do we help these kids that are struggling? Right. So that's a perfect use of good tech, right? That we can use it for good. And that's AI used in good ways. I think what we see with Facebook is that they're using AI in ways that are the opposite of that. And it's because it's monetized faster. You brought it up in the beginning. Why is hate propelled so quickly? Or why is divisiveness propelled so quickly? It's because it creates engagement. It creates mm. energy and it swells. Uh, whereas organic, like the organic shares, it doesn't swell as quickly, right? Mm. Who wants to know that it's my birthday or who wants to know that, you know, that somebody actually got a good grade on a test or won, you know, first place in track. That's not quite as exciting as the fact that you, you know, found somebody cheating on somebody's other, you know, partner, or, you know, you caught somebody in the middle of the bathroom doing something they weren't supposed to do. Like that's what really, that's what really spreads news. Um, and it doesn't really matter. The AI can't tell what's true or not true. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it just picks up the energy from the post. And that's what they, that's, what's so frustrating to me is these tech industries could shut down that those false posts and that false information but they've decided that the ad revenue around it is so much more important than the human capital that it's causing the damage to. Wow. Wow. <clears throat> and, and, you know, I'll say when you talk about ad revenue, I've used Facebook for my ads and I've stopped, mm -hmm. you know, I just like, it's just disgusting to me. How, how can you stand yeah. for that? Well, it's hard, right? Like as a, as a business owner myself, and I look at it and it's, it was interesting to me because I look at, I've, I've been doing Digital Citizen Academy for 12 years now. Mm. And when I actually signed on with the, the Deliver Fund nonprofit, like they, when they did the analysis of me, they said, you have negative algorithms attached to all of your posts. So I'm on CNN, I'm on Fox News. I was on the doctors for 16 seasons. Like I'm on national programming. Yeah. And the things that I talk about when it relates to tech are attached to basically down algorithms that are putting my information and reducing the viewing of it. <gasps> so when I found that out, I, and when I understood that you can add either algorithms that elevate someone and that there's different programs that allow that to happen. So they have, they have all of these different like secret kind of programs that they allow that to happen to for say celebrities or influencers or things like that. They don't follow the same rules as all of the rest of us do. So it's not an even playing field in any way, shape or form, not an even playing field. The rules are basically like sitting down with monopoly and they have $50 million and you have 500, you will never be able to come out ahead. And that's the part that for me, like, that's why I wrote the program for kids. I was like, let's just teach them that this is what the rules are and give them a shot to understand so that they can make appropriate choices. Because if we can get the kids to buy in and they can understand how they're being taken advantage of and being used, maybe we have a chance because this population, Gen Z, is the largest population in history and they have the most powerful tech control moving forward ever that has been imagined. And if we allow them to continue forward without giving them the educational piece to understand that they are more powerful than the tech industry themselves, the tech industry will always control them. So that's my messaging, right? Like that's why I'm writing these books. It, you know, the books are great, 
Um, you don't write books to get rich. Like, you know, yeah. you've probably had authors on here before you write books because you're passionate and you want people to understand and really support a cause and get the messaging out. That's, that's the whole purpose of it. Wow. Okay. So <clears throat> th- this may be an ignorant question for me to ask. Never. I, I feel like other people want to know this too. Like how, so, okay. So I'm just going to say it. How is Facebook, Instagram using teens? You know, how are they doing that? Is it, is it because of those algorithms where they are favoring, like without a doubt, favoring some celebrities and some influencers and that sort of thing. And then downplaying people like, like you who are saying, excuse me, no, no, this is not good for people. Right. Is that, is that how they're using them? Like, or, or is there more? It's, it is essentially that. I mean, so what Facebook has identified, Instagram, TikTok, all of them, they've, I kind of identified the behavioral patterns of what we as humans are, teens specifically or young kids specifically, kind of come into the world, the tabula rasa, right? They don't, they don't really, I mean, some people don't agree, but like they kind of come in blank. But as you go through developmental stages as kids, there's all of these learning moments, like parents are supposed to be most influential, right? Our moral and ethics, like we hope that our kids are kind of pulling in from our cultural Mm tie-ins and um, we shared, you know, I shared with you, I'm half Canadian. Like, so there's like boxing day and like all of these things that like I've grown up with, but like, you know, it's like these traditions that we kind of learn as children are being surplanted and overridden by like kind of what Facebook or TikTok or Instagram are kind of feeding Mm -hmm. into our children's lives because they're spending more time on social media than they are actually learning from kind of those organic influences of our own family and our traditions. So what they do is they take those developmental stages and they learn from behavioral psychologists that what they can do is like kids are insecure, right? I mean, you're a mom of teens, like kids don't really know how to figure out where they belong in the world and being a kid is hard. So if I can kind of go in and fact check, like, you know, what are the most popular shoes or I, you know, what I used to look around and be like, okay, like I definitely can't afford whatever everybody else is, you know, wearing, or, you know, I'm going to try to look like everybody else because that's what we want to do as teenagers. So we want to fit in. And so what they've done, Instagram specifically, Facebook really kind of hadn't captured that generation. They tried Facebook messenger for kids to kind of this is the psychology of what they did is like try to sell it to the parents, right? Oh, we know that you don't think Facebook is safe for kids. We'll give you Facebook kids, right? Or Facebook messenger for kids, which is like, again, like it's like a wolf in sheep's clothing, Yeah, like redesign a package. And now they try to pretend like we think it's safe. Um, but that's what they do. They, they go into these developmental stages of kids and they recognize kids really need feedback. And so if you can give them a platform, so take Instagram, for instance, where you can put a picture up and kids can either vote up or down or like give you instant feedback or give you comments. And then you can get likes mm-hmm. that competitive feeling of like getting energy from the crowd. It's no different than earlier generations, like in school where you kind of had the job crowd and you had the, you know, mm. nerd crowd and you had like the popular kids and whatever, you know, so like there's kind of these cohorts that you can go against, um, mm that's what they learned. And so that's how they're using the kids and they're getting kids and giving them platforms and voice and the ability to just kind of go outside of that normal, um, I guess, community and get 7.2 billion people to come and look. And that's the dangerous part to me. It's like, yes, you can get followers, you know, like I've got a 13 year old that went on Instagram 
uh, three months ago and she already has 500 followers. And so there's like, there's no way that those 500 followers are people that she knows in real life. Absolutely. You know, so the door that you open when you allow people in that you don't know is, you know, what I call tricky people and people that are coming in that you're now allowing to access your child and, and you don't really know the purpose or why, you know, why am I following a 13 year old child? Like, why are they so interesting and why are we, yeah, that's why, why do we want to be, you know, so that that's the part that I think, um, that's what they've figured out. They figured out that kids need to, you know, focus and energy. They're insecure and they're willing to share their lives without any sort of thought to privacy or protection or any of that stuff. Yeah. Oh Sorry. God. That was a long-winded answer. No, it's so good. I'm hanging off every word you're saying. I, I love it all because we need to know it. And really what you're saying is, is social media more influential than you as the parent and it absolutely is. is yes. And that is scary. That well, is so really- average age of first pornova- pornographic viewing now for a child is seven. It was eight over a year ago. The, the pandemic has changed that by thrusting technology to K through fourth graders that traditionally weren't given access to technology on a day-to-day basis. But now you have like a seven-year-old who's, who's viewing their first pornographic viewing. And now your average age of chronic pornographic viewing for young boys is 11. So like, if you think about the sexualization of just like one tiny aspect of that and how that's like a natural, that's a natural, like food, water, and sex are kind of natural human drives. Mm -hmm. But now when you're putting it into these like really young undeveloped minds and they don't really know how to handle it and they don't really know how to process it, how does that impact them for a lifetime now of like, how do they interface with other people and how do they like start their kind of sexual journey and like you know, how much information are they getting? And do we, as parents even know, like, I'm not talking to my seven-year-old about sex, but if it was a parent, I knew that they were, they, or a friend is seeing it and talking about it. I certainly should. And that's not real sex, what they're seeing. That's the the shame of it. Right. That's not just the shame. That's And, and I think that in and of itself is its own pandemic because that is really changing things. And you know, I had somebody on uh, one of my early episodes talking about porn refusal and having those skills for your kids so that when they see it, they turn away, they tell someone. And that the, the reality is, is that's how predators groom is through pornography. And it also makes predators because they think this is what it's supposed to be like. And then they want to recreate it in real life. And that's not real. And, you know, and, and even the porn industry, according to this expert that I had on, uh, is struggling to find people to do the things that people want to see. Isn't that twisted? Yeah, it is. It's so twisted. And I think that if, if you look at, if I look at some of the cases where I started probably probably almost 10 years ago, noticing 20 year olds that were having like sexual performance issues it right. was based on years of porn viewing and the escalation of like, you know, I've got high school students that are looking at rape porn and like the, the issues that they have to get to. And that now how does that translate into like going to a high school party and you've got like girls and kids drinking and using drugs and like doing stuff like it's like, it's just, it's like this really, really huge issue. And that's like, just like that sliver piece of social media that like really within two or three clicks, take you into it. Um, and, and that's the part that I think that parents really need to understand. And, you know, this new generation has known nothing different. 
because they've grown up with it, right? They've grown up with having a tablet or something in their hands since oh, yeah. they were a toddler. I mean, how many babies do you see in strollers with a device? Yeah. I know. I, I, I told my husband I was going to make up business cards with statistics <laughs> on it and hand it out to new moms. And he's like, please don't like, <laughs> don't get arrested. Don't. <laughs> no kidding. I know. I feel like, nope, nope. Give that back to mommy. Yeah. It's okay. If you cry, here's a little toy that has like, is nothing. Just, yeah, yeah I, know, right. I know. And it's hard to be a parent. So you understand why, you know, parents go to do something easy, but not really understanding what's really on the other side of it, you know? And, uh, it is, uh, it, yeah, it is scary. It's scary. And so what do we do? What do we do? So as parents, I think that you kind of, you, you have to assess, um, I had this program, um, and I use it sometimes, but digital detox, where you kind of, the first step is to look and assess what is our tech use? what are we as parents doing? So one of the first things I say to kids is, all right, let's pull up our screen time. If you have a device, you have an app, like, or if you have a device, you have that app, right? So screen time is something you can kind of check and assess for yourself. And I always pull the parents and I'm like, I'm going to check your screen time, right? What is the model that you're showing with your kids? Are you walking in at the end of a day on your phone? Are you putting down devices for how much time do we really have with our kids every day? Three to four hours. Are you really putting tech aside and engaging and having that family connection? Like that's what heals hearts. That's what heals minds is that connection and, and how we like really kind of connect intimately and emotionally with others. And when we have a screen in between us, or we're distracted by a screen, we're giving that, that dysregulated connection. Um, so I, th- I would say, start there, look at what you're doing, assess how much time you're using. Um, and then once you kind of get a, a better handle on that, like make yourself some real goals. Can we reduce by 15%? Can we make some quick rules mm-hmm. in the house whereby, you know, every evening we're going to have two hours alone. We have tech free Tuesdays in my house. Um, mm-hmm. if it's really fun, you know, on, on Tuesdays, like it's, it's almost like, a. um, you know, it's like that senior assassin game where like the kids have to wear the goggles in their senior year of high school. Like if my kids catch me on any certain device on Tuesday, there's like penalties assessed. Oh, that's awesome. So, you know, you can make it fun in your house yeah. um, with your, with your family. And, and it, it really is about creating boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and then really having like, to me, it's getting into the deeper discussions of the why kids, kids really do well with being part of the narrative. And I think as parents, sometimes we forget that kids are talked to a lot, right? They go to school and they spend eight hours being talked to and mm-hmm. told what to learn or how to do things. And they're really not in a, in a Socratic type of, you know, teaching environment for the most part in our mm-hmm. educational worlds. And so like, how do we create voice for them and ask them those questions that lead them into being part of the narrative? what do you think about this? Like, how do you feel about that? Like what, you know, like an in Instagram, like the study that came out that was uh, 67% of teens are emotionally um, doing good on Instagram. They're doing well on Instagram, right? Well, that, so that means like 33% are not right. So 33% <laughs> of kids. So like the way that the media kind of presents that, or the way I should say, Facebook's media presents it and promotes it, mm-hmm. give the kids a voice to understand what data looks like and like whether or not a, a study that comes out that only has 300 people in it really matters. If you're looking at a cohort of 72 million, um, you know, I called the study out the other day for, for something that they had 600 people in it and they were saying, well, this is what the millennial generation is doing now. 
I was like, well, there's 72 to 78 million, depending on the stat, people in the millennial generation. So you can't take a study of 600 and tell me it's reflective of their. Yeah. So I sat down with my kids and showed it to them. I was like, just because someone says it's true doesn't mean it's true. You know, teach them those critical skills and to be part of the narrative. Um, and once you get there, I think that you can start having conversations about how do we participate in using these platforms? Like I have a 13 and 14 year old, neither of them are on social media um, and neither of them asked to be on social media hmm. um, because I think that they've grown up with me maybe as a militant mom on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but I've been really clear about the benefit versus the risk. Um, and now that I have a daughter that's a freshman in high school, we're starting to have a conversation about, okay, we need to probably start a, you know, Instagram is, is basically kind of a LinkedIn for kids. If they yeah. only post about academic and sports and community, like philanthropies that they're doing, that's a really good Instagram to put out there. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not something sexy. It's not something that like, you're going to get millions of followers are from, from your peer group, which I, you know, hopefully that they have a strong enough network that they don't need, but how do we use social media as a tool for ourselves versus mm-hmm. allowing social media to, to use us as a tool for them? Mm-hmm. That's the key differentiator. So that's what that kind of digital detox program um, is like meant for, right. Is like to get parents to that point. And once you get kids to like own that, and they're like, wait a minute, like, how do you like, like, they're just taking all my information. Um, kids don't like to be taken advantage for, of. Um, and so I just say, give them the keys to the kingdom and let them understand what's exactly happening. Wow. Yeah. That's really, that's a really great point. Like just share with them why you're outraged. And I mean, I think they're pretty reasonable too. Like nobody wants to be used, right. Manipulated. None of us want that, you know? Uh, so that's at, and social media is here to stay. Right. For the most part, right. Like we're just, it's just going to keep, it's just part of our society right now. You know, it's what, yeah, it's what job it's like, if you're, if you have a teenager, that's going to go look for a job, it's the first thing that they check. I think um, I've got a sister-in-law in recruiting and she hundred percent of all of her candidates for a, a major hospital system are screened through social media. Um, uh, monitors. So they go back and they screen everything that you would have ever posted. So like one of the things that you look at from a kid, um, we talk about kind of having an Insta, like, like, if you know, you're as a parent, you can follow your kids online. So a lot of parents are like, Oh, I think it's, I feel safe because I follow my kid. Um, I always say, follow your kid and follow their friends because their yeah. friends are going to be the ones that are posting the stuff that you're missing. Um, but like, I think what they do is they create the secondary accounts, what they call Finstas or spam Insta. Um, where they create multiple accounts. And, um, you know, this is where I think that kind of the Gmail suite, like kind of like does us no favors, letting, letting kids to open up multiple email accounts. So now they can open up multiple social media accounts. Yeah. Um, you know, what kids don't understand is all of that IP, like from an intelligence standpoint, working for law enforcement, that all goes to one spot. So it doesn't matter whether or not they put it under, you know, Dr. Lisa is usually my, Dr. Lisa Stroma is my handle on almost everything. But like, if you, if I put on something like, you know, um, you know, Scottsdale mom, like that's still going to attach to my IP and it's still from a law enforcement or from a public standpoint, all of that data is attached to one account. So even if my mom can't find it, I promise you law enforcement can. Ooh. lawyers can, because they have the AI, the artificial intelligence scanners to go in and pull it all. And it all attaches together. So if you're, if you think you're being sneaky, you're just not. 
<laughs> I mean, I feel bad for kids today. I mean, they can't be sneaky. I mean, they're, you know, like they cannot be sneaky. There's no That's way. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> As a mom, it's like, oh, there's a digital footprint on everything. That it, that's, that's really great to know, but it doesn't help me when I can't find it, you know? Uh, right. And, and I don't know, um, you know, we're talking about Facebook, Instagram, but, but I would, you know, I feel like I do a disservice if I don't talk about TikTok. Do you, what do you think about TikTok? You know, I think TikTok is, uh, it's sneaky. Um, it's very entertaining. So people send me, I don't have a TikTok account. Um, people send me TikToks all the time, which is like really tricky on their part. Cause you can watch TikTok, even if you don't have it, right. You can watch a preview of one and then it like loads into another one. And then they give you a short segment and they're like, Oh, if you want to watch the whole thing, um, then you can like, you have to sign on and like do all that. And I'm like not getting tricked or sucked into that myself, but if I'm a teen for sure, like I'm going to be on TikTok Cause I can like watch funny videos. I can get entertained. I never have to have a time where I'm alone. Um, and I think that like to me, TikTok is, it's kind of leaning into that space where kids don't know how to be with themselves anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that's the emotional kind of, um, space that really allows us to heal as humans and have reflection moments. Mm-hmm. So TikTok kind of gives that, you know, kind of constant or chronic noise to them with entertainment and it can be funny. Um, I think it's interesting, like they unleashed it to the world globally. Uh, and then I think China recently pulled off and they are not allowing their teenagers to be on social media or any sort of, uh, platforms more than two hours a week at this point. So they have shut down as again, of course, as a communist country, they can. Um, but it seems like they, you know, they kind of build out all of these like super fun games and, and a predominant amount of it comes out of a lot of this Asian market. And then they have such a huge issue with tech addiction over there that they just shut it down. And they said, kids can't have it more than two hours a week. And, and in the U S I think our average is six hours a day. So if you talk about a digital divide from an academic, emotional, educational standpoint, like our kids are going to be far more damaged if we allow them to have TikTok because it keeps them quiet or entertained, um, than any good that can come out of like, as a parent, putting our foot down and saying, no, like this isn't healthy. We need to, we just need to turn it off. Wow. Okay. One last question. Uh, what about Snapchat? Yeah. Snapchat, um, (laughs) snap filters, right? Like I, um, I gave a talk right before the pandemic and I had a girl waiting a 40 minute line to come up to me to tell me how brave I was because all of my images online did not have filters. (laughs) I thought, (gasps) Oh, And I was like, that's impressive. Like, you know, like I didn't realize like that was a brave thing to do anymore. Um, and I had never used the filters, which are like super fun, right? Like we can put like little rabbit ears and all those things on, um, the photo imaging and technology and all of that stuff, super fun gathering all of our data all the time. Um, the snap messages and the snap streaks and snap stories really goes into that developmental need for kids to have an audience. Right. So mm-hmm. if you think about teens, they need to know that they matter. And so I think like snap a lot, like snap stories and the snap community allows them to do that in a really easy way. That is the number one. I'm on a lot of um, internet crimes against children task force um, agencies across the United States, obviously. And like with a lot of partnerships that I do and work that I do, um, that is the number one platform that we find evidence off of. So when kids think that those messages get sent and then disappear, that is very far from the truth. 
all of them were captured, all of them were housed, and all of them are accessible by anyone that has a subpoena for a law enforcement uh, warrant. So, mm -hmm. okay, good, good. I think it's important for parents to know. I think it's important for kids to know. <clears throat> wow. Okay. Am I terrifying you? I don't mean to. No, no, but not just that, you know, there's even more to the app where, you know, you can see exactly where people are if you put on location services, which, which is, you know, awful because you can, you know, maybe you see your group of friends somewhere and you're here, right. Or whatever, somebody can find where you are. Right. I mean, of course that's, I mean, that is yeah. that's a nightmare. Yeah, Snap Maps. Um, it's super interesting to me that like this feature because if you turn off location services, it also turns off some of the fun filters that you can use, which yeah. is one effect, right? So they kind of like incentivize the kids to keep that location service up because that's where, of course, Snap Inc. is getting data, which is like allowing them to sell because then they can map like, oh, they're at the mall and they're next to Sephora, and then Snap sells that data just so that you're your audience understands that, yeah. that those maps actually help them sell data into commercial corporate worlds. Like here's where the kids are and here's how you could kind of attach to them and you can message them while they're outside of your store to get them to come into your store. So there's like this whole commerce behind the scenes is what's happening mm. and why snap maps is so important. But from a parent standpoint, a kid standpoint, you're totally right. Like I have so many kids that feel ostracized or left out or mm -hmm. um, really like hurt by the fact that they can see a majority of their classmates or group or whatever it is, like they're doing something and they've been left out. Um, and that's a psychological harm that of course, as a clinician, I struggle with helping kids get through all the time. Mm -hmm. Oh, it, that's tough. I, I remember some of those experiences myself as a kid. So it, it leaves a mark, doesn't it? It does. I mean, and I think that that's a part where that developmental piece of like just needing to feel um, that we belong. Yeah. And I think that um, I did a TED talk recently called um, How Do You Define Self-Worth? And it really mm. talks about like the social media world on is it defining your self-worth and is the likes and the follows and the involvement of that, of that, you know, kind of social network, really what defines you because it mm -hmm. shouldn't. And I think no. that that's the piece where as a parents really need to kind of jump in and really help kids feel more secure in their own skin because mm. we, you know, we all have strengths. Yeah. Well, and do you think that perhaps Gen Z, this generation, maybe the next generation, this will be their their call for their own awakening to sound, you know, a little weird that do you, do you, or are they so deep in it? Like, do you think there is a, there is a chance that this generation of kids, right? My, my kids, your kids will say, you know what, hang on a second. I won't be manipulated. I won't be tracked. You can't use my information to sell me stuff that I may or may not want. And reject it. I hope so. I think that this generation from a standpoint of where you have kids that hear the truth, recognize that they can break the mold. And I can only say, you know, giving a presentation one time at a school, giving this information out, I think that they had a contingent of like 450 kids or so. And they like on February 14th, like kind of all canceled their snap at the same time. Mm -hmm. And we're like, like, sent a message and said, like, we love ourselves more than we love your product. And like, oh. kind of all canceled their account at the same time on like Valentine's day. It was like, 
it was a super cute, like move on their part to kind of jump join together. Mm -hmm. Um, so I hope that that happens. I hope that like, I think that this generation can come solve the problem. The yeah. problem is solvable right now. Like I, I, I want the, the audience to know that, like the fact that Facebook understands that it, there's an easy way to put in information and shut it down isn't is a it's a financial decision right now the, mm. the technology exists today to shut it down so that our kids are not being harmed that we aren't utilizing that data it's just too valuable right now for the shareholders and the global economy to take that hit and i think that that's the that's the the sad part for an adult in me to see is like there's there is a big huge com global commerce issue here mm -hmm. that we have to look at and there's so many different hands in that pot whether it's political or financial or you know um corporate um you know like that's holding this together that we have to kind of unwind it carefully um but but gen z is going to be the generation that changes it all um this is the first generation that doesn't need to have a fund of knowledge like I did, you did when we went through school, like they don't really need to understand the Silk Road and they don't need to understand what, you know, the Chinese emperors did in 700, you know, AD, like they don't need to really know that they need to know how to research, access the data, synthesize the data and present the data. So, so they're breaking educational parameters. And, and I think that, that there's a lot of things that are about to be broken because it isn't really that important anymore for them to have the same sort of in-depth knowledge that we had to learn. Um, and so that's, it's, there's a lot of things changing all at once. And I think as parents, we have to recognize they're still being taught old theory and old, yeah. but they're also being demanded to be able to access research and synthesize with, without being plagiarists. So, you know, it's kind of this interesting play on their part. And that's why I say is parenting, it's really hard right now in this digital world. And that's why I think they're all in distress. Like you don't really know what's right or wrong. And yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and what are you seeing since you, you have a, a, a practice, you see teenagers, you work with teenagers, what are you seeing when they come through, through your door? That is a direct result. Maybe, I don't know if you can really say that, tell me, but, but as a direct result of being on social media. Well, I've been doing this for 17 years, so I can definitely tell you I see results because I saw pre-social media uh, where before it was really ubiquitous and now when it just like almost, I mean, I think any social economic strata, like even if kids are on like welfare and foster systems have smartphones. So the difference that I see is the psychological well-being and the resilience of the kids uh, is very different. I, I think that there's too many cooks in the kitchen and there's too much information coming at them at once. That's that distress piece that I see. They don't really know um, what their foundation is anymore. Um, and there's just too much information coming in and too many comparables. Um, and that's where, you know, psychologists might use the word self-esteem because that's what we do. We compare ourselves against the rest of the world or our cohort, and we define whether or not where we rank and that's self-esteem. What I'm really recognizing with the social media world is it's the self-concept, which is, that's the, the truth that only we know, right? Whether or not, I mean, I went into a grocery store at four and, and stole animal cookies and like rode my little tricycle out. Like, and my dad <laughs> reminds me of it still to this day, every chance he gets, about, oh, you know, 
but nobody in the world would know that about, you know, that I like started my whole life in crime because my parents said no. Um, The FBI let you work with them. I know. Right. Right. (laughs) Because of course it wasn't public and there was no CCTVs at the time. So Um, you're so lucky you got away with it. (laughs) I know. Not so smart when I put under my pillow and I went to bed and it crinkled under my head. Um, Yeah, it was very cute. Um, I did have to return it. It was a very big life lesson. Yes. Uh, but so like our kids, that self-concept is like, what are all those like things that we do on a day-to-day basis that the rest of the world never sees? Yeah. And the part about kids, and I think that what social media has changed is that self-concept about like the parts that we used to be able to kind of internalize, learn from, absorb, and have a life less- lesson from is all public for them. Mm-hmm. So there's no grace in your ability to make mistakes anymore. It's that mm-hmm. kind of that cancel culture that they're growing up in. So they're, they're walking on a very thin line of not making a mistake because everybody has an opinion and they will judge you the minute you step out of what their believed line is on that. And that's the part that I think is really fractioning the mental well-being of our kids today. And then up against that algorithm that favors hate yeah. It gets published. Like it gets published at a, at a, a rapid rate. Wow. So that's what is causing that just that to me, you know, like we just had three kids commit suicide in our in our community this week. And it was like hmm. I, I I can already tell you a hundred percent I have confidence that it's related to something that happened on social media. And so it's, it's so sad to me that we are, we're losing lives over it. Hmm. And and it's, you know, again, like I feel like chicken little, it's like there is a way that as parents, we can stop it because we can say just because it feels very public doesn't mean that it's permanent. And I, and that's not what I used to say 10 years ago. I used to go out and say what you do online is public and it's permanent. And I no longer say that anymore hmm. because I don't, it's, it's the wrong messaging for a, a, for, for a youth environment to hear. They need to know that you can make mistakes. They need to know that even if you start your life in, you know, this little criminal like enterprise of stealing cookies, you can come back from it and you, you can, it, you know, you can um, rehabilitate, re- rehabilitate it. Right. Right. And, and just because you posted something online or got convinced to send a naked picture or, you know, somebody like told you that it was going to be okay. Like there are tricky people and there are people out there that are going to like make you feel secure enough to do that. And it's not the end of the world. Like there are ways that from a technology perspective, we can erase those images and we can pull those things out by like lots of different ways that you can do that. But like, there is, there is a way back. Um, and so I do, I completely changed the messaging that I do talk to kids and encourage parents to talk to their kids. It's okay to make mistakes. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the part that I think has changed with me and, and how social media has changed their, their generation. Yeah. And I think, I think what you just said is, I think that is exactly what's what it is like that just sounded like the truth to me, right? That it is, it is no grace for mistakes. And in fact, to make a mistake is what it is to be human, right? We all make mistakes. We all fall flat on our faces. We all say dumb things. We all, you know, get it wrong, make a mistake, do something that, you know, we didn't think through and that's okay. We, you know, that's what it is to be human, right? We learn from that. And if there's no grace and then you're bullied and told you're worthless because of that mistake and that defines you, yeah, that's why people are dying. Right. And, <sighs> and that's the part that we don't have, 
we don't, we also don't have that soft place to land. And that's where I, I tell parents, it's like, you know, if I went to school and, and I had a, um, my eyes can sometimes turn this yellowish color and they would call me Catwoman and he eyes and like all of these things oh. as a child. And I remember like, I was like in this incessant, like teasing and bullying. And I have friends from elementary school and they're like, it's so amazing that you, where you are today compared to like this, like, you know, super poor, like I was homeless as a child at times. Like, oh. and it, so it's like, you know, I didn't go to school with clean clothes all the time and raggedy and all of that stuff. And it's like, I remember though, I could come home and I could fall into the grace of my, my grandmother's arms, or I wouldn't have to hear the voice of a thousand peers continuing to badger me or worry about whether or not that picture of me wearing my brother's hand-me-down jeans was going to be posted all online and made fun of. That's yeah. the difference this generation. They just don't have space to be yeah. in their own loving environment to recover and heal and, and really understand that life isn't really about that, that public persona that people want you to think is so important. Yeah. That's such a good point. Yeah. Cause you, you would be able to go home and be away from them. And now you're bringing them all at home into your bedroom, into wherever, wherever you are, they are, if you're bringing right. your, your, your phone, your devices with you. Right. No technology in the bedroom. That's, that's a key point for parents. Yeah. You no, know, going in the bedroom is the number one place kids want to go technology in bathrooms and bedrooms. No go for me. Good, <laughs> I am good. the neatest mom in the world, according to my kids, but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I just think that that's where, again, like that's where some of those things can happen and what it, what it is, you can't control what your kids are exposed to, right. Mm-hmm. Depending on, I mean, you can obviously take them off of these platforms and tell them those things, but what you can control is whether or not you're observing their reaction to what they're involved in. And mm-hmm. as a parent, that intuition and that emotional connection, you have the strongest out of anyone in the world with your child. And you're mm-hmm. the one that, that cares about them the most. Mm-hmm. So pay attention, look over their shoulders, be a nuisance, mm. get them mad at you. Don't worry about it. In the long run, they'll love you more. I promise. Like it's, it's a heartfelt lesson. And over 17 years, I have so many families that send cards and thank yous and um, kids that come around and say, if you wouldn't have said anything, I probably would have went into a deep place. So keep, keep bugging them. Keep, keep looking over their shoulders. They need it. And look into Digital Distress, your book, which is out now. And where can people get your book? Uh, it's on Amazon. Uh, Amazon.com has it. Um, if you look at lulu.com, uh, lulu.com too, that's where we published out of. Um, so either one of those platforms is carrying it now. That's awesome. Thank you so much. And people can go to asklisa.com as well, right? To uh, Yeah. Yeah. And I just want to say... Thank you for, for all of this information. Um, you know, I, I can't think of anybody better to, to share this information and, and scare us a little bit, but maybe that's what we all need is a little jolt uh, to say, okay, yeah, no, we really have to pay attention to this because, you know, lives are at risk and mental wellness is at risk and all of that stuff. And our kids just they're vulnerable to this because they don't see the big picture. They don't know. So um, Dr. Lisa Stroman, thank you so much for being here. I just have enjoyed every moment that we have uh, been together. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thanks for covering this. It's important. And parents hang in there. Keep listening to the podcast because you bring such important topics for them. So thank you for doing what you do as well.
Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and